uh, I heard about a man who was working in his garage one uh, Saturday, and he was listening to the radio, and the DJ, <coughs> excuse me, the DJ come on and was talking about a car driving in the wrong direction on the interstate. His wife was out shopping, so he was afraid, scared for her. He called her, and he said, honey, be careful. One idiot is driving the wrong way on the interstate. And his wife replied, one, there's hundreds of idiots driving the wrong way on the interstate. So, uh, you know, we've all had the joy of realizing we're going in the wrong direction, haven't we? I mean, when, man, when we realize we're going in the wrong direction, we got two options. And those two options are stop and turn around or just keep driving, right? I mean, one is pretty smart and one's not so smart, right? Today, what we're going to do is we, as we look at the trumpets number five and six, trumpet judgments, we're going to see the devastation caused when someone who is going in the wrong spiritual direction refuses to turn around, okay? It's called repentance. That's what repentance is, turning around, right? Repentance actually, excuse me, is a Greek word that means change of mind. Change of mind, it means basically you change your mind about who you are. You realize, you know what, I'm not a good person. I am a sinful person. You change your mind about who God is. You change your mind about who God is. He is sovereign. He is king of kings, Lord of lords. He has authority over my life. I need to submit to him. You change your mind about sin. I need to repent of sin. My sin is offensive to God. You change your mind about God's word. It is absolute. It is truth. It is authority. I need to submit my life to it. So becoming a Christian or being a Christian is not just knowing information about God and even acknowledging that information. It is a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. That's what being a Christian is, a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. Now, today, we're going to talk about uh, trumpets five and six, as I said a moment ago. And remember, as we look at trumpets five and six, in the seal judgments, you've got three sets of seven judgments in Revelation. The seal judgment, seven. Trumpet judgment, seven. The bowl judgment, seven. Not different judgments. I believe that they've been, they've been happening since Jesus ascended to heaven. When he sent the Holy Spirit, then the last days began. We are living in the church age, the last days, uh, right, of, of the history of God's redemptive plan. We're in those last days, and we've been going through the tribulation. John said, I'm a partner in the tribulation with you. The disciples were murdered. They were killed. Persecution of Christians has been going on uh, for, since Jesus ascended to heaven and will continue until he returns, right? So we're in the tribulation. So these judgments are not uh, different judgments, but they're different views uh, of the same judgments to give us a different perspective. So the sealed judgments, I believe, gives us the perspective of the judgments in the tribulation from the from the perspective of those who are sealed by the Holy Spirit. In other words, Christians. Who can stand? Those who are sealed, right? The trumpet judgments give us a view from the perspective of those who are not sealed by the Holy Spirit, those who have the mark of the beast, those who refuse to repent. Now, when the first four trumpets blew, John told us the four, first four trumpets, then he he, he, he said this in 8.13, after the fourth trumpet, Revelation 8.13 says, Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, 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 three woes to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Okay, so after the fourth trumpet, 
John saw, heard a high-flying eagle pronounce three woes on the people of the earth because the last three trumpets are going to be devastating. Now, when he, when he uses the term people of the earth, those who dwell on the earth, he, he doesn't mean, well, earthlings as opposed to Martians, right? And he doesn't mean everybody who lives on earth. This is a technical term, and it's used seven or eight times in Scripture. Earth dwellers, those who dwell on earth, is used seven or eight times in, I'm sorry, in the book of Revelation, not just in Scripture. It's used seven or eight times in Revelation to speak of those who do not repent, those who have the mark of the beast, non-Christian. So what John sees is he sees a devastation in these judgments upon the last three trumpets upon those who do not follow Jesus Christ, okay? So let's dive into it. And let's begin to uh, uh, look at the fifth and sixth trumpet, all right? Now, it's all of chapter 9, okay? So follow along with me. I'm going to read it, and I'm going to do what I did last week, interpret the judgments, the, the trumpets, and then I'll give you two points of application at the end. And here's what uh, John wrote in chapter 9. And the fifth angel blew, the tr blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise from their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have, king, they have as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek is called, he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops were twice 10,000 times 10,000, and I heard their number, and this is how I saw the horses in my vision and, and, and those who rode them. They were, they were breastplates the color of fire and sapphire and sulfur, that's red, blue, and, and yellow, and the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire, by the smoke, by the sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their, and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents uh, with heads, 
and by means of them they wound. Man, I'm telling you, this chapter is uh, one incredible chapter, isn't it? I mean, this is one of the chapters that when people read Revelation and get to this chapter, they're like, what in the world? I can't understand this. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I mean, I'm, I'm scared. It's scary, right? And so today, I want to break it down uh, a little bit. Now, as we go through this, I want you to remember, God never gave us, didn't, he didn't give us Revelation to be a puzzle book. He gave us Revelation to be a picture book. It's not so that we can know all the pieces of the puzzle so we can predict this date, this future event, when that's going to happen. It's to give us a picture, all right? And he's writing with apocalyptic literature. Remember that, all right? And so uh, let's dive in and let me talk about not all the details uh, of, of these trumpets, but let's talk about the picture of these trumpets, right? Not the puzzle pieces, but the picture. Now, when the fifth trumpet blew, uh, John saw an, a star fall from heaven to earth, and he had a key to the bottomless pit. And his name was Abaddon, or Apollyon, which means destruction, or destroyer. And he took the key, and he opened the bottomless pit. And when he opened the pit, smoke billowed so much that the sky and everything turned dark, and you're beginning to get a picture of what he's opening, right? So he opened the bottomless pit, and he summoned an army of locusts that looks more like something that you would find in a sci-fi movie than maybe something you would find in the Bible, right? I mean, these locusts, they had, uh, they had uh, you know, they look like horses, war horses, uh, breathing fire, and they had human faces and, and women's hair and lion's teeth and a crown on their heads, and they had breastplates of iron and just a massive amount of noise thundered from their wings like horses running to battle, and, you know, and they had scorpion tails, and they stung people with their tails, and it's like, what in the world? I mean, man, this is like sci-fi stuff, right? And they were given the power uh, to harm people, and notice who they were given the power to harm, not those with the, sealed with the Holy Spirit, but those who were, had the mark of the beast, not Christians, but non-Christians. And they had the power to harm for five months, to bring the pain, tremendous pain for five months. Why five months? Well, five months is the lifespan of a locust. And basically, he's talking about this is temporary. This is not the final, right? This is temporary. And so uh, they harm for five months, and in that time, the pain will be so uh, so devastating. They will be so, people will be so tormented that they will want to die. And, and, and they'll beg to die, but they can't. Remember, in the seals, they wanted to die. They ran into the mountains and wanted the mountains to fall on them, and, and, and they begged to die. And so, so uh, this is the fifth trumpet, all right? Now, as we go into the sixth trumpet, if that was not scary enough, we go into the sixth trumpet, we got to remember back to Revelation 7, God released four angels, and he said he sent four angels to the four corners of the earth to hold back the winds. In other words, it's the image of restraining God's judgment until when? Until the, all of God's elect had been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Hold them back until every one of God's elect has been sealed. Every believer who's going to come to Christ comes to Christ. Hold them back right? And so also remember that these judgments are past, present, and future, I believe. In other words, many people believe that all this that's happening from Revelation 4 through chapter 22 are future. It's all in the seven-year tribulation, right? That Jesus is going to return, and he's going to rapture his church and take all the Christians out, and then all this is going to be happening on uh, those who are left behind in a seven-year future deal. 
I, I, that's not the, my, the way I interpret Revelation, all right? That's not the way I interpret this. The way I interpret this is, as I said, we're living in the last days. The tribulation is now. These judgments are different pictures of the same judgments that's happening for 2,000 years and will continue to happen until Jesus returns, right? Uh, you, you've got the four horsemen of the apocalypse that are galloping. They've been galloping through history. Famine and earthquake, all this stuff, they've been galloping through history. They're galloping today, and they will gallop until Jesus returns. Seals one through five are past. They're happening in the present, and they will happen in the future until Jesus returns. But seals six and seven are all future, the return of Jesus and the end of the world as we know it. In mirror fashion, the trumpets, one through five, are past. They're, they're happening in the, they've happened in the past. They're happening in the present. They will continue to happen in the future, continue to blow into the, the future until Jesus returns. But seals six and seven are future, the return of Jesus and the end of the world as we know it. Okay, we got to remember that. Now, so as we go into the sixth seal, he said four angels, the four angels were released from the Euphrates River. Now, is this the real Euphrates River, if you interpret it literally? Because the Euphrates, remember, uh, a part of the border of Israel was the Euphrates River when God was giving the promised land. If you go back in, in Deuteronomy, Joshua, the Euphrates River was a part of the border of Israel. And so are these angels there in Israel and, and you know, this future battle in Armageddon and all that? No, I don't believe it's literal. Just as in chapter 7 when he said he released the angels, four angels, to the four corners of the earth. He didn't mean the earth has literally four corners. The earth's not flat. He was talking about north, east, south, and west. He was talking about all of creation. It was a symbol for all of creation. Here, uh, Euphrates is a symbol. In, in, Old Test, or, or in John's day, the Euphrates River became a byword, a code word, basically. It was a way that they spoke of great trouble. Uh, the, all of the, the kingdoms that conquered Israel lay beyond the Euphrates. You had the Assyrians, you know, 722, the Persians, 586, the Babylonians. You had, uh, you know, you had all these enemies that come in. Nineveh lay across the Euphrates River. Ezekiel 38, 39, all the wicked cities in Ezekiel 38, 39, across the Euphrates River. When Israel was captured, when they were taken into exile, it was across the Euphrates River. So the Euphrates River became a way of speaking of trouble uh, in John's day. And so what they're saying basically when he said the four angels are released, which means all of God's beginning with the sixth trumpet, the elect have been sealed the, the beginning of the end. It's the beginning of the end. That's why he says, John says here, it's the month, the day, the, 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 the year, the minute, hours. Now, all of history is racing toward that moment God has set aside when the end begins. All of these judgments are all through history, and they're getting more and more and more and more intense, and it's racing toward that moment that God has already ordained when the end begins. And so when he releases the four angels, that means the full number of the elect have been sealed. It's the beginning of the end. He releases them, and, 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 and they uh, come in, and they bring this, they summon uh, the, the, the 200 million men army. If, if in your scriptures, the, 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 the numbers of myriads and the myriads in some translations, you know, you got this whole 200 million, I'm sorry, 200 million man army. And they, they, they march and they come and they are riding fire-breathing horses and they have lions uh, uh, for heads on the horses and serpents' tails. And uh, I mean, they're just devastating, right? 
And again, it sounds like something you see on Terminator. These locusts that are like war horses with scorpion's tails. The horses uh, of the, uh, the soldiers have, have serpent's tails. They both have lion's heads and, and they make thundering noise, all this stuff. And it sounds like something you see on Terminator, right? I mean, it's just like, wow, this is sci-fi. This is crazy. This is like, what, 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 what is all of this stuff? And so, so it, it, that's why it's important to, to know the interpretive rules. In the introductory sermon, and if you're just joining us, uh, it would be helpful to go back and, and catch up from the beginning. In the introductory sermon, I gave some interpretive keys and interpretive rules for the Bible and specifically for Revelation because re- the book of Revelation is, is a different kind of literature than any other book in the Bible except Daniel. They are apocalyptic literature. Here in our world today, we're not well-versed in apocalyptic literature, right? I mean, it's like poetry. Man, I read poetry, and I'm like, oh, I don't, what? You know, I'm, I'm, my mind's sort of uh, confused a little bit, right, when I read poetry. And most of us are not well-versed in apocalyptic literature. They were in the first century. And so he's writing, and this is apocalyptic. He's using metaphors, right? He's using symbols. It's not to be taken literal. And so if you have a literal view, then what you do is when you begin to interpret this literally, you, you begin to get confused in so many angles because the people who have a futurist view, there's many things that they say, well, this is symbolic, but this fits if it's literal. So this is literal. And you just have to hunt and peck and, and pick which is which. And so, so you, ha- you have to come and look at this literature for what it is. And it's, and it's apocalyptic, right? And so when you interpret it literally, there are some issues. Like Hal Lindsey, for instance. Many of you have heard of, many of you have read Late Great Planet Earth. Uh, Hal Lindsey, he has a literal interpretation, as does Tim LaHaye and Left Behind a very literal interpretation of Revelation. And Hal Lindsey says that the 200 million man army is the, the communist Chinese army. They're wearing yellow and red breastplates and they come from you know, China and, and, and the scorpions and the horses, the, the noise and the stings from the tails. What that is, that's attack helicopters and they're spewing nerve gas from their tail. And it's on that battlefield and uh, the Valley of Megiddo, that great final battle called Armageddon. And that's all happening right there. And, and, and I'm telling you, man, it's mysterious, isn't it? And it sells a whole lot of books. Uh, it's mysterious, but it's also really useless for every Christian who's ever lived except Christians in that time, Christians at the very, very end. You see, because uh, uh, we got to remember when we, when we read Revelation, when we read any of the Bible, we have to remember that it wasn't just written for our benefit. It wasn't just written to us. The Bible, I believe, is absolute truth. It, 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 it is God's word that it never goes out of style. So it is for us today. When he wrote it, he wrote it to give us a guide for life today, a way to live today. He wrote it directly to participants, too, in the church. So in other words, Revelation, we know in Revelation 2 and 3, he wrote it to seven churches in Asia Minor, which I, I believe means all churches throughout all time because the number seven is, uh, again, symbolic for wholeness or completeness. So he wrote this vision and gave this vision for all churches of all time, okay? Uh, but he also wrote it specifically and directly to churches in Asia Minor, which was today, present-day Turkey. So when he wrote it, we have to go back and say, okay, he wrote this directly to the church, and you've got to know context when you have to know context when you read the Scripture. So you go back and you say, what did this mean to the first century believers? And then you build a bridge to the today and say, what does it mean to today? 
okay? And so what we do when we read Scripture is we have a tendency to read from the 21st century backward, and that gets us confused. We have to read from the first century forward, okay? And so, so we have to go back and say, what did, what when those first century, remember John's writing to these churches, and he says, I'm a partner with you in a tribulation. He's writing to give hope and encouragement to churches undergoing great persecution. And, and so when they, when they heard this, what would they think? What was the meaning for those churches? Well, they, they would have known immediately he wasn't being literal. They knew he was using apocalyptic literature. They knew that this was metaphorical, that he was using meta, metaphors to give us uh, handles to grasp spiritual realities, okay? They knew that, this was, that, that he was being symbolic, and they knew immediately when they heard this, two Old Testament passages would have come to mind when they heard Revelation 9. Remember, the Bible interprets the Bible. The interpretive key for Revelation is the Bible, uh, the Old Testament, specifically prophets. And so they would have thought of two specific passages when they heard this. The first passage they would have thought of would have been Exodus chapter 10. In Exodus 10, remember the trumpets, most of the trumpets correlate with an Old Testament plague in Egypt. They would have thought of Exodus 10. Exodus 10 is the eighth plague. The eighth plague is when God brought the locust, the swarms of locusts as a plague on Egypt to devour, completely devour anything that was left by the hail, right? And so they would have immediately, when they're talking about these locusts and they come, they would have thought about the locust of Egypt. And then the second passage that they would have thought about would have been uh, the Joel chapter two. In Joel two, God's bringing judgment and he brings judgment in the form of a swarm of locusts who stripped the land bare on the great day of the Lord. It's judgment, right? And he describes, if you read Joel 2, he describes those locusts very, very, very similar to John's description of those locusts in Revelation 9. Those locusts are, are like fire-breathing horses and lions' heads and, and tails. And I mean, man, they're making this thundering sound, like chariots. And you can go read it and look at the description in Joel 2. Look at the description in Revelation 9. And you say, oh, okay. They would have heard that and they would have went immediately to Joel 2. These were people of the word. They knew the Bible. They, their Bible was the Old Testament. They would have went immediately there. And, and so, so when we look at this, uh, you know, uh, we, we, we have to realize the interpretive key is the Old Testament. And so locusts today, and if you put yourself in their shoes, in, in, in the sandals of the first century believers in, uh, in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey, they heard this, they go to Exodus, they go to Joel, and we, you know, it's harder for us to get it because locusts don't really scare us much today. You know, we have cicada invasions, right, every few years, you know, when all the cicadas come out and and everything. We have the cicada invasions. It doesn't really scare us as much today. Uh, scorpions, we don't even have scorpions in Middle Tennessee. So if you lived in Middle, if you grew up in Middle Tennessee or grown up in Middle Tennessee or East Tennessee, I grew, I grew up in the Appalachian Mountains in East Tennessee. We had a lot of things. Man, we had rattlesnakes and we had snakes and we had creepy crawly things, but we didn't have scorpions. But when we moved to Texas, that was a different story. You know, when we moved to Texas, I, I went to work for a church in Texas when I was in seminary, and I was in the office the first week there. Amy calls me and says, you better get home now because there is a scorpion in our house. And there was a scorpion in our house, and we didn't, we wasn't around scorpions, and so she was scared to death. And, you know, in the Middle East, in the Middle East, then and even today, scorpions are everywhere. In John's day, 
one of the, you never got in your bed, and you didn't do this in Texas either when we lived there. Every night when you got in your bed, you lifted up the sheets, you lifted up the covers, you made sure there was no scorpions in there because they like dark, cool places. You wanted to make sure because you got that foot in that bed and that stung by scorpion, you're going to scream. It's poisonous and it's painful. You, you got your shoe, you made sure you dump out your shoe, you don't want a scorpion in your shoe. Same thing in John's day. They check their sandals, they check their beds. As a matter of fact, the Marines, get this, even today, the Marines said uh, that uh, during the war in Afghanistan, that the scorpions were a bigger problem for them than the Taliban. I mean, scorpions are, are a massive issue, right, in, in many places in the world, even today. Now, locusts, when we, when we think of locusts, as I said, they don't scare us as much. In the first century, they were devastating. They, were, they would come in, and they would be like, the sky would turn black, they would be everywhere, and they would march, and they would completely destroy everything in their path, devour crops, devour all the wheat. You had a wheat field, gone. You took vegetation, gone, right? And so what you got to understand is when he talks about these locusts and these scorpions and all this stuff, he's not talking about a, a, a Apache helicopters, and he's not talking about nerve gas, and he's not talking about a, a, a battle on a, on a, on a battlefield and in, 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 in Israel and Armageddon, like, well, you know, fight wars like that anyway today, right? I mean, it, it's not like we're going to gather in one place like we did, you know, and have our muskets and march towards each other. I mean, uh, th- that's not how wars are fought. It's, so, it's, it's, so it's not uh, Apache helicopters and nerve gas. It's destruction. They would have known immediately. He's talking about destruction, pain, death, chaos. It's a place of trouble, Euphrates. The, the pain and the death that comes from scorpions and famine that comes from, from, from uh, a locust and we die because we have nothing to eat. And they're talking about places of trouble, death, devastation. That's exactly what they now would have thought. This is coming. Watch out. This is here, right? And then in, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 72 disciples, two by two, to share the gospel. Maybe you remember this if you're a student of the Bible or if you've read the Bible. You might remember when Jesus sends out 72, told them not to take any money bags, all this kind of stuff. Go out two by two, share the gospel, right? And look at what Jesus tells them, right, when they return. Here here it is in Luke 10, uh, 17 through 19. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are, are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan Fall like lightning from heaven. Reminds you of Revelation 9. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents, scorpions, and over the, all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Man, the disciples come back so pumped. They've been sharing Jesus. They've been telling the gospel, sharing the gospel. And they come back, and they're so pumped. They said, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven to earth, and I gave you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy and nothing can hurt you. And, and I mean, as, as we look at this, man, you gotta notice that the enemy has no authority on his own, nothing that God does not give him. He can only do what God allows him to do. He fell from heaven to earth. He was given the key. What is keys? Authority. Jesus tells the disciples, you have the keys to the kingdom. He's talking about authority, right? He was given the key to the bottomless pit. It's only the authority that God gives him. He's only able to do what God gives him the authority to do. You can't harm anyone who has the Holy Spirit, the seal of the Holy Spirit. 
You can only harm those who have the mark of the beast, those who don't know me, those who have not repented. You can't eat the vegetation, the locust, right? So he can only do what God has given him to do, the authority that God has given him to do. Folks, when you look at these, we could, we could look at all the puzzle pieces. Man, what does the crowns on the heads of the horses, the locusts mean? What does the, you know, the t- we could look at all those puzzle pieces, and we can adequately explain. But here's the picture. The picture is when these trumpets are blowing, it's not talking about, I don't believe. It's talking about a future battle on a physical battlefield in Israel. I think it's talking about a current battle uh, that's been raging and uh, a spiritual battle in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. Folks, the bottomless pit, when he talks about the key to the bottomless pit, what is the bottomless pit? Over and over, it's used by Scripture to refer to the dark prison that demons are held in until the final judgment. So what this is, it's it's, it's an absolute army from the jaws of hell that's mounting war on our culture. It's mounting war on our culture, and it's not just something that's going to happen in seven years. It's happening. It's been happening, and it's going to happen until Jesus returns. It, it, it's, it's, the jaw, it's, it's just this army from the jaws of hell that's mounting a cultural war to destroy, to steal, kill, and destroy. So let me give you two points of application after we look at, hopefully, when you look at that and you begin to understand, okay, man, I, I don't need to be looking for Terminator monsters to come out of the skies. This is, I think, apocalyptic literature. And so let me give you two points of application that we can that, that just scream out of this for you today. One, the first point of application is that Satan's lies bring death. Satan's lies bring death. And I'm going to give you the other right now because I want you to understand. Satan's lies bring death. God's truth brings life. Satan's lies brings death. God's truth brings life. Summed up in one verse, John 10, 10, which happens to be the theme verse for LifePoint, okay, our church. And it says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I came that they may have life. Satan's lies brings death. God's truth brings life. Let's look at both of those. First, what we see, the enemy came to what? Man, he came to steal. Steal what? Steal your joy. Steal, he came to kill, kill your marriage, to kill your dreams. He came to destroy everything about you. Isn't it ironic that the one the, in, the enemy uh, uh, approaches and he attacks is, is those who serve him. He tricks people into serving him, and what I mean by serving him is not serving God. And when the people don't serve God, that's who he turns on and he attacks, right? It's a deception. Remember, the power is in his mouth. The power is in the horse's mouth, right? It's a deceiving lie that he spews to steal, to kill, and destroy. John 8, says what? Satan is a liar, and he is not just a liar, but the what? Father of lies. He's a liar, folks. His objective is to destroy, to steal, kill, and it's, decept- it's, it's through deception. You see, I mean, if you looked out, and man, if you just saw the, the evils that would come from drug abuse, if you saw the evils that would come from pornography, I mean, if, if, it was, if you looked at, and, 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 and everything before you was this monster that looked like a fire-breathing horse with a woman's hair and man's head and lion's teeth and serpent's tail, you're running from that, right? I mean, you're right. Anybody would run from that. 
but it comes to you like, you know, very seductive, like Eve in the Garden of Eden when God had clearly given her the word and Adam who was right with her, and he didn't come to her as this ugly, monstrous creature. He came to her very seductively, very appealing, and he tempted her with a sense, an appetite, something that just looked so good, right? That's how it is. The lies of Satan kill. The lie that Satan told Eve, we die because Adam and Eve took the fruit. We die physically because of that. God created a world in which there was no death. It was perfection. We destroyed it because we fell victims to the deception of Satan, to the enemy. We die physically. But not only do we die physically, we were born dead spiritually, separated from God because of that. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You say, oh, Adam and Eve, if they had only stayed true. Well, the problem is, is we make the choice every day to fall to some of those temptations, don't we? We can't blame Adam and Eve. We can understand Adam and Eve, not blame them. And, and, and today, here, here's what we see in our culture. Think about how this is playing out in our culture today. This is not just something that's future in the seven years. The lies of the enemy, the lies of Satan are killing. They're stealing and they're destroying every day. They're destroying. Think of how the seduction is bringing death right now. Let me give you a few examples. I don't have to give you many, but then you can just keep going and going and going. You know, God gives a clear, clear, clear uh, outline for sex in the Scripture. Teenagers, adults alike, listen, God says what sex is about, and it's not just physical. Sex is a spiritual act. It, it, it is a oneness between male and female. It is not just physical. It's not just pleasure. It is spiritual, and it's not just for your pleasure. It's for God's glory, right? It's a beautiful spiritual thing. But here's what the seduction of the enemy comes into culture and says, oh, it's not just one man, one woman. It, 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 it is have all you want whenever you want you're, you're, because it's about pleasure. I mean, God gave you these desires. God gave you hormones. He wouldn't have given you desires and hormones had he not wanted you to do this. That apple, oh, oh look at that fruit. It, it's pleasing to the eye. It, 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 you know, God just knows that, that when you eat it, you'll be like him. So have all the sex that you want because that's, to believe otherwise is prudish. It's archaic, right? Brings death because it's not just physical. And I'm, uh, who would say it's not fun? Who would say it's not pleasurable? That's the way God made it. But it brings death because it's spiritual. In the Scripture, God has given us a very clear definition of marriage. God defined marriage as between one man and one woman because it's not just about somebody meeting my needs. It's not just about pleasure. It's just not just about what I want. It's just not just about what I feel. It's not just about, it's about God. It's about God's glory. It's about marriage reflecting an intimate, a co committed covenant relationship between God and his church. That's what marriage is all about. That's why marriage is sacred, because it's about God and his relationship with the church. That, so therefore, the definition is one man, one woman. But what does the enemy do? He deceives culture. He deceives culture into believing that, well, if you believe that 
two men can't get married or two women can't get married, same-sex marriage, if you don't believe that, you're archaic, you're ignorant, you're backwoods, you're a fool, right? And you're a bigot, and I mean, man, you're just, you're part of the problem in this world. And so, so what we've done in our culture, and what we've done in our culture is all 50 states have legalized same-sex marriage, which is a great celebration in, in, in part of the culture, and all it did was open a Pandora's box, folks, that now when you begin to redefine marriage outside of what God's bounds are, then you have to figure out where will you stop and you will not stop. What you did was opened up Pandora's box that eventually, and you will see this very soon, it will be okay legally for a 50-year-old man to marry a 12 or 13-year-old girl. Or, wait for it, a man to marry his dog or his horse, whatever. That's, you don't believe, just look at history. That's where we go. This is the destructive deception of the enemy. It's the destructive deception that's killing, stealing, destroying, right? It's, it's robbing us of life. It's robbing our culture of life. In the Bible, God creates male and female. God creates male and female. That's the only gender categories in the Bible. No matter what the enemy lies, no matter what lies the enemy spews, the only way for human flourishing is to live according to the biological reality of God's good design. That's the only way of human flourishing. The Bible teaches, I mean, Romans 1, 1 Corinthians, Leviticus, men should not dress like women. Men should not act like women. That's what the Bible teaches. But the enemy has deceived our world into thinking anything goes. The enemy's deceived our culture. Right now, I don't know if you realize this, but uh, there is a bill that's introduced that is on the floor called the Equality Act. And if the Equality Act passes, what I want you to understand is uh, it neuters, completely neuters religious liberties. Churches will no longer be allowed to only hire people who have the same faith understanding that we have. Churches would be forced to hire transgender or homosexual or whatever people believe uh, uh, in certain positions in the church. Schools will no longer be allowed to do certain things and do certain things completely neuters and the enemy's deception, and it's all under equality. It's the lie. It's the deception. It, 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 is, it is a complete it's a complete, the enemy's laughing over this racial divide that's been going on since Adam and Eve bit the fruit. And you know, right today he's not laughing at, at racism because racism is real. Racism will always exist just like murder, just like rape, just like lying, just like gossip, because people who don't know God will fend for themselves and fight for their own glory rather than God's glory. And when we do that, we elevate ourselves. The way we do that is put other people down. We become superior by making other people inferior. Racism will never go away in our world. And the people who are giving you the answers do not believe what they're giving you. They don't believe it. They don't live it. They don't believe it. And, and so it will always exist. And so the lie, the enemy's laughing now, not because of racism. That's been going on forever. He's laughing at the answers we're getting from, our, from people in our world. 
oh, this will solve it, when he knows that doing these things, dividing into groups and doing all these things will only drive it into the ground and make it worse and ruin any kind of hope of reconciliation. The lies of, the, the, the lies of Satan, the lies of the enemy, steal, kill, destroy. It makes us believe that that. that killing babies in utero, even in the Virginia uh, was introduced, let a mama have a baby and then decide if she wants to keep it. If not, you can terminate it. The lies of the enemy are absolutely destructive. We're seeing it. It's going through history. Now, everything I just said, I I just want you to know the world just canceled me. (laughs) Okay? I will never be able to run for public office after that, okay? I will never on any platform be able to run for public office because I just got canceled by the world. I want you to understand, folks, that the enemy is lying and it's destructive and it steals and it kills and destroys your life. It destroys. That's the, that's the lies of the enemy, Right? The locusts destroyed the crops and brought environmental famine in the Old Testament. But notice, these locusts were not able to touch the crops. Think about that. God sent locusts and said, don't touch the vegetation. So what is this a picture of? It's not a picture of environmental famine. It's a picture of spiritual famine. As the locusts laid bare the wheat fields of Egypt, they're laying bare the souls of men and women, boys and girls all over our world today. As he lies and laughs because they bring death. And they bring destruction. Oh, but God's truth brings life. Satan's lies bring death, but God's truth brings life. John 10.10 says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly, more than you can ever imagine, over the top, full to the brim, overflowing life, life like what you wanted, right, always. But notice God's people are protected in this, Right? God's people, you can only harm, you can only t- uh, harm those who are marked by the beast. You can't touch those that have the Holy Spirit seal upon their forehead. Hold on a minute, Pat. I mean, we've all felt the effects of these things. Oh, yeah, children, man, children suffer from the sins of their parents, and parents suffer from the sins of their kids. We die today. Right? My dad died in November, and, and, and my mom is struggling with Alzheimer's really bad, and I'm getting ready to have to struggle with putting her somewhere because it's getting really bad. And, 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 and so, you know, and all that's because of sin. Yeah, Christians struggle. Christians are affected by sin. We live in a fallen world. All creation groans for the return of Christ, right? We live in a fallen world. It doesn't mean we're not going to be affected by it, but it means, oh, we overcome it. Nothing can happen without the, the will of God in your life, and we overcome it. Yes, you fall to temptation. You fall to temptation. Oh, but here's what it says. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You, you are saved through it. Oh, you're saved through it. You're not necessarily saved from tribulation because John wasn't, because Paul wasn't, because Peter wasn't, but they were saved through it. They were saved through it, Right? Christians fall to temptation, but their, their sin is forgiven. Notice that if you think about it, Satan's enemies bring, Satan's lies brings death. God's truth brings life. Well, let, let me just help you to understand it. When we follow God's, when we follow the enemy's lies for a sexual ethic, 
All you got to do is open your mind and open your eyes and see how destructive it is to the souls of boys and girls who are following, falling for Satan's lies when it comes to sex. Men and women. Men and women who have adulterous affairs and it destroys marriage, kills marriage. Death, family, steals joy from families. You don't have to look far to see the destructive nature. But man, you look at, you, you look at God's truth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have sex with one woman the rest of my life. I'm going to have sex with one woman, committed to one woman in marriage until one of us die. It's one woman and only one woman. You see, the world says, oh, that'll get boring. Well, I'm here to tell you, I've been having sex with the same woman for 35 years, and it just gets better and better. Okay? I don't know. After everything else I've said, there's nothing wrong with saying that. That's tame, right? One brings death, but one brings life, life to families. I don't know if you realize this or not, but it takes a man and a woman to have biological life, right? That's God's design. But it also takes one man and one woman to bring emotional and spiritual life. You see, one man and many women, one woman and many men, uh, one man and one man, one woman and one woman, one man and anything but a woman, one woman and anything but a man, Death, emotional and spiritual death. It's death. You, you, you want to have life and finances? You want to have death and finances? Well, let me tell you how to have death and finances. Believe the culture. Believe the lie that what you've got is yours. Believe the lie that what you've got is yours. Did you realize that most Christians don't tithe? Do you know why most Christians don't tithe? I believe that many, most true Christians want to tithe because most true Christians you know, true Christians have the Holy Spirit living within us. We want to do the will of God. Most Christians want to tithe, but most Christians don't. Why? Because we feel like we can't tithe. Why do we feel like we can't tithe? Well, I don't have a, a, enough money to tithe because I've got all these bills, which says, let me keep going back for you and help you to understand the reason you have all that and you can't tithe because you have this is because you honored yourself with your money rather than God first. So you got yourself in over your head and now what are you doing? Is it brought you life or is it brought you death? It's brought you death because what you do when you don't honor God first and you honor you first, you're putting on the shackles of debt that holds you captive. So do you want to live in a captivity to finances? Or do you want to say, man, I've got this. God has given me everything I have. It's God's. It's not mine. And I'm going to honor him with the first 10% because God needs it. He doesn't need any of your money. He'll take every penny you've got if he wants it. He doesn't need it. Okay. He doesn't need it. He did it for you so that you would have life. It's not like, oh, I got a tithe. No, it's a reminder that when you do, I'm honoring God first. And when I honor God first, everything else begins to fall in place, and it gives me freedom. And I don't have to be strapped so that when a pandemic hits, I go, oh, my goodness, I, I can't make it now to the end of the month. What am I going to do? Death, cursing, blessing. What do you want? Lies of the enemy, the lies of Satan bring death, but the truth of God brings life. When you're reading through Deuteronomy, here's what you're going to find over and over. As I give you this land you're getting ready to walk into, you be careful to obey everything I've commanded you, and if you do, I will prosper you. You won't believe it. I will give you life. I will give you blessing, but when you disobey, I will give you curse, and I will give you death. Blessing, curse, life, death. What do you want? What do you want? Blessing, curse, life, death. Follow Satan, you're going to get death. Follow God, 
you're going to get life. So you see all this, and you think, surely these people are going to repent. They see these things. Surely they're going to repent. Here it is in, in Revelation chapter 9, verses 20 on. It says, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze, nor give up worshiping de demons, uh, uh, gold, silver, and bronze, sorry, I just read it, and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorcerers, sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Surely they're going to look and see what's happening, and they're going to say, I don't want curses. I want blessing. I don't want death. I want life, and I'm going to repent and say, Jesus, forgive me. Save me. Help me to walk according to your word. Now, isn't that sad? I, even in seeing this, they love darkness more than they love light. They would not repent, and it's sad. What will you do? Blessing, curse, life, death. What do you want? It's only in Jesus. Will you repent? Will you repent today of your sin? Will you repent and turn to Jesus? Will you have a change of mind that leads to a change in, in, in direction, change in behavior? Will you repent? Life, death, blessing, curse. What do you choose? Here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to pull out their phone. Or if you don't have a phone, you've got something to write on, that's cool. Pull out something to write on in a pad of paper or, or a piece of paper out of your purse or whatever, or find one in the back of the thing. Pull out a, pull, just, but pull out your phone if you've got a phone, even at home. If you're a Christian, those who are marked, those who are sealed with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives within you. You know what that means? That means you repented. You repented when you turned to Jesus and said, I'm a sinner. You're the Savior. It's not me. It's not my way. It's yours. I submit to you. It's called repentance. But repentance is not a one and done. Yes, salvation is instantaneous. But then that means the rest of our life is we're sanctified, sanctification. That means I become more like Christ. That's a lifetime process. And so you know what? I'm no longer captive to sin. Jesus set me free. But you know what I do? Sometimes I still choose to sin. And so I repent. I continue to repent so that I can walk in freedom, so that I can have blessing, so that I can have life. And so, if you're a Christian, here's what I want you to do. Take out your phone, open up to whatever you jot down notes on. Evernote, your notes app, whatever you jot down notes on. And here's what I want you to do. In just a moment, I'm going to have Travis and the band to sing over you, and I'm going to give you a moment. And when I do that, I want you, every Christian, to write down one thing that you need to repent of. And if you say, I don't need to repent of anything, write down lying. <laughs> write down one thing you need to repent of. And don't be general. This is not like a job interview, you know, where you're sitting across from the guy who's interviewing you and he says, what's the biggest thing you struggle with? And you try to make yourself look good by turning that negative into a positive by saying, well, I just work too hard. It's not general. I, what's that one thing that you need to repent of. For some of you, it's adultery right now. For some of you, it's fornication. That means having sex before you're married with somebody. For some of you, it's lying. For some of you, it's gossiping. For some of you, it's pride in a very specific way. 
But what is that? Write that one thing down in your phone in just a minute. That's for those of you who are Christians. And then what I want you to do is, as Travis and the band is playing over you, I want you to talk to God about that. And then after the church, I want you to go talk to someone that you trust about it. Don't talk to anyone about it. Talk to some believer that you trust. And, so, and if you're going, I don't know who I talk to, then that means you need to be in a community. You need to be in a life group. You need people you can trust. Call us, we'll help you. What's the one thing? Write it down, talk to God about it, and then talk to somebody about it. Now, for those of you who are not believers, watching online, in the house, watching from anywhere in the world, here, here, here's what I want you to do. I want you, if you today, let me, let me be real. Most of you that are not believers, you're not going to do anything. Why can I say that for sure? Because of what I just read. They did not repent. I know that. But some of you, the Holy Spirit's working on, not me, the Holy Spirit. And if that's you, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your phone, and I want you to text the word Jesus to 1-615-551-9800. Text the word Jesus to 1-615-551-9800. Online, even in the house, you can do that, or you can come and see us. Text the word Jesus. You're basically saying, I need Jesus. That'll start a dialogue and will help you find life, not death. Everybody go ahead and bow your head. Travis and our band begin to play after I pray. You just do business. I don't care if you sing. Let them sing for you right now. Sometimes, you know, I can't pray. Sometimes people have to pray for me because I'm just in such anguish or something. Right now, if you want to sing, sing in a moment. But I just want you to do business. I want your heart to, to flow to the Lord right now. What is that thing you need to repent of? And will you cry out to Jesus in repentance for salvation? Father, I love you. God, your word is life. It's not easy. It's not an easy word, God. It's not always uh, unicorns and puppies. It's not always how, how God just is going to prosper us and bless us. And, uh, but it's about repentance, and it's about sin, and it's about coming on our knees, and it's about living life because we are set free from these things. And today, I pray people would be set free, God. I pray Christians would be set free from indwelling sin. Sin that's holding them back. They've been set free from sin. If they're a true believer, they have been set free. They have been re released, redeemed from the captivity of sin. It no longer holds them captives. But God, sometimes we still choose to sin, and Christians deal with indwelling sin. And I pray, God, that the, any indwelling sin inside a Christian today would be broken, God. I pray that today that they would be set free from that to experience life and blessing rather than death and curses. God, I pray that those who are not Christians today, right now, God, Holy Spirit, spring forth in their heart. Bring new life. Save people, God. Please help us to have revival within the church. Help us have an awakening within the community. God, we pray for you right now to move, God. We love you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for life. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.